the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. Let's give our attention now to God's Word that comes to us from Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Chapter 9, verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. As it were an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places." And the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be and can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city." Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. 
Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Last we were together, we took note of the fact that Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 12 is what brings the second portion of the book of Ecclesiastes to a close. This darkest portion of the book is brought to an end in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 12, and here we begin our uh, our work through the very last portion of the book, the third and the final portion of the book, and this is a portion of the book that is much brighter, that is much more encouraging than the second portion of the book, which focuses a great deal on darkness and death and the foolishness of so much of life. You can tell that there is a transition that has been made in the course of the book because the preacher here who has been leading us through the book takes a break from his ordinary task of trying to look at everything under the sun to seek to find gain. He stops talking about the limits of things like goodness and wisdom and he spends a bit of time giving to us some proverbs. He gives us proverbs that tell us the difference and the distinction between wisdom and foolishness, that tell us of the importance of discerning between wisdom and folly. It also tells us how we can discern if the person that we're talking to is wise or foolish, or if our own heart is wise or is foolish. And so what we're going to do is to walk through each section of the Proverbs here and take a look at how we can discern wisdom or folly, starting at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13. Verse 13 to 18 is the first part of the uh, passage this morning. This is an interesting story that's told at the outset by the preacher here, an interesting story about a small town that was nonetheless sieged by a great king. Mighty siege works were built so that the king could take over that city, and yet within the city was found one poor but very wise man. And through his wisdom, he's able to save that small city from the invading king who had built siege works to try to take over that city. It's an odd story if you think about it. I mean, why would a great king try to expend such a great amount of effort to try to take over a small, sparsely populated city? How was it that this very wise poor man hadn't been known about before he was discovered to save the city from this incoming king? And how great must have been the wisdom of this poor wise man who was found in the city to be able to save the city from this invading army? And after the city had been saved, how is it that they were, for, they were to forget about this wise person who had saved them from such a king? It's a very perplexing story, and it sort of gets at the theme of a great deal of what the preachers talked about, how, how life itself is perplexing and mysterious, and yet at the, outs, at the very end of the story, the preacher nonetheless says that there is a point to all of this, and the point is clearly stated. Wisdom is better than might. Wisdom is stronger than mighty siege works. Even though wisdom is less celebrated and wisdom can be quickly forgotten, wisdom is nonetheless more important and better than power. And yet people remember the mighty weapons of battle. 
They remember the great king and the mighty siege works even as they forget the wise person. People remember and recall the rocket's red glare or the bombs bursting in air, but not the wisdom that may lead to the winning of a battle. They forget quickly that wisdom is in fact more spectacular. You know, one of the illustrations of this is that Power is something that strikes us and sticks with us. Before NFL football games, they have a flyover of jets, not a word of wisdom from a wise person, right? That would stick with people far less than seeing blue angels streak past an NFL stadium. In lieu of a flyover, this morning we're going to hear a wise word from an elderly man. So let's give our attention here before the football game starts. Very unlikely, right? Power is much more impressive. But despite its great impressiveness... Wisdom is much more important. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But it's so easy to miss wisdom, isn't it? Verse 16 says, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And then verse 17 seems to tell us that wisdom is going to win out in the end. The words of the wise are heard and quiet, heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. But then verse 18 might depress us again a little bit. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. One sinner destroys much good. There's something fragile about wisdom for all of its greatness. Wisdom can be overturned by folly and overturned by folly quite quickly. But overturned by a small amount of folly, wisdom can be overturned. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself. And we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. And that's what the next portion of the text tells us. Ecclesiastes 10 verses 1 through 3, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right. But a fool's heart to the left, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacked sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The preacher gives to us a contrast between wisdom and folly. Folly is weaker than wisdom, it's worse than wisdom, it's not as good as wisdom, and yet, in certain ways, it can actually be more potent. Wisdom can be overturned, at least in its smell, by folly. Folly is so potent that even a little bit of it can turn something that is sweet-smelling into something which creates a stench. And just a little of it can turn something that's sweet and beautiful into something that is horrid and decaying. He uses a very very vivid metaphor, the sweet-smelling perfume of the perfumer. Even that can start to smell terrible if a fly flies into it and dies. And that's what folly does to wisdom. Even a little bit of folly that starts to get mixed up in our wisdom will turn that which was good within us and our speech into something which is decaying and frustrating and unhelpful and disgusting, something that upends and brings to an end the very purpose of wisdom. And so knowing how potent folly can be and how it can upend and overturn wisdom, if just a little bit of it is sort of 
brought into the mix. The preacher then gives to us the way that the wise and the foolish can be discerned. And this is what he will do throughout the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Help us to discern between wisdom and folly so we don't get the folly mixed up in the wisdom and and leading to a stench and and the disgusting grossness that would characterize us. The the preacher here would want us to be characterized by pure, good, sweet-smelling wisdom. And so therefore he talks about how destructive folly is and where we can find it and how we cannot be characterized by it. So he says that the wise and the fool can be discerned. The heart of the wise person leads him to the right, whereas the heart of the fool leads him or her to the left. This isn't to say that the wise person can't be an ambi-turner. The wise person can turn directionally left as well as to the right. However, in scripture, left and right is important. The right hand is always the hand of authority, of importance. In Matthew chapter 25, when Christ comes, he separates the sheep and the goats. He puts the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. The place of honor at a banquet was always to the right of the one who is hosting the banquet. And and so it's for this reason that a a certain translation takes this verse and says uh, something to this end. It says that the wise person's heart leads him aright, but the foolish person's heart leads him astray. That's what's being said right here. The wise man's heart leads him aright. The fool's heart leads him astray. The preacher then describes the fool. Even on a well-worn path, he can't figure out his way. Even when the fool walks on the road, the text says, he lacks sense. Or to put it in more modern times, the fool can't tell you or can't figure out, even when traveling west on I-80 from Tinley, how to get to 355. This is actually a striking rebuke to me who had to look up on a map to make sure I got that illustration correct because I'm not so good at directions. I can't tell you the way to get from one place to another if I don't have my GPS working. And so as someone who is directionally challenged himself, I read this and think, ooh, at least in this instance, I am the fool. On the well-worn path, I can't tell you which way is this or which way is that. If you're traveling with me and tell me to go west... I will have no idea what you're talking about. Tell me to turn right or left, not west or north. That means nothing to me. Directionally speaking, therefore, I'm here with the fool. The fool, even on a well-worn path, can't tell you which way you're supposed to go. The fool also says, we're told here, he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, this could mean three different things. It could mean because we're not sure what that he refers to, right? It could mean that the fool meets different people, and when he meets that person, the fool's always like, you know what, he is a fool. The fool's always calling other people a fool. He's a fool, he's a fool, he's a fool. The fool says of everyone, he is a fool. It could be that the fool, through his actions, demonstrates the fact that the fool himself is a fool. By the way that he acts, everyone is able to look and discern that is a foolish person. Or it may be that the fool is so foolish that he, in fact, will tell everyone, I'm a fool, you know. The the language in the Hebrew is a bit ambiguous, and the language in the English reflects that ambiguity. In any case, the fool can be known through the actions of the fool. And the regular calling of other people a fool may, in fact, indicate that the finger should be pointing back at yourself. It may be that you're already discerning that in hearing about the fool, 
you at times may be the one who lacks wisdom. I've told you I'm already finding myself there. Are you in this text? If so, in which place? Are you the wise person whose heart is leading them aright? Or is your heart at times led astray? Do you need to grow in wisdom? The next portion of the text, verses 4 through 7, tell us about fools in government. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. There are fools in government, we're told here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You might remember the well-known phrase of Mark Twain, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. (laughs) That's in essence what's said here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Context is important as it tells us, uh, context here is important because it talks about princes sitting in a low place. In some context in scripture, that might be talking about justice reigning in that location, the appropriate humiliation of those who had become wealthy through ill-got means. However, in this particular context of Ecclesiastes chapter 10, what the preacher is telling us is that folly upends society in unhelpful ways. Things are set wrong when folly is set in high places. Society itself begins to become upended and unravel when foolishness is set in the places of governance. Philip Ryken says this, as a Bible teacher, it's not my place to say which political leaders are wise and which are foolish, but whenever we see things turned upside down, Whenever a society celebrates immorality, perpetuates wrongful violence, punishes righteousness, denies the authority of God, or persecutes his people, we may be sure that folly is in control. A fool in control, therefore, taking a look at the portions of the scriptures which we've worked through already, a fool in control will make a grand show of their military might and power. They will speak with great bluster and speak often. They won't use the words of wisdom and discretion. Such leaders are a stench. And the Christian should pray that the country in which he or she lives would be led by a man or a woman who prizes wisdom more than power, who speaks carefully and listens well, who will set things aright within the country that they govern, who encourages the flourishing of the righteous. And then verses 8 through 11 tells us how wisdom can assist us in daily life. We're told here about things that can happen when one works. He who digs a pit will fall in it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The preacher here is going on to tell us that there are occupational hazards in every form of work. Pit diggers can fall into the pit that they've just dug. Those who work in demolition can find that just as it appears that they have completed their task, there is something more dangerous on the other side of their work than there was on the side that they were on. Those who work in a quarry can find that if you lift big stones, they can fall or hurt you. If you're a lumberjack, you can be felled by a falling tree. 
And then one statement about something that isn't dangerous, but is nonetheless true. If your tools aren't sharp, you create more work for yourself. Being wise and attentive to the tools of your trade will help you to succeed faster and with less effort than the fool who lets his blade become dull. The overarching message of these verses here is that wisdom can help one prepare for the unexpected within their own work. Yes, accidents can or will happen, and accidents do happen to everyone, the wise and the unwise. However, the one who seems accident-prone may simply be unwise, failing to make proper preparation and uh, failing to make proper preparation for their task. If you know that you're doing something dangerous or laborious and you don't prepare for it, then it's an evidence of the fact that you are foolish. The wise person, on the other hand, makes sure, takes into consideration the nature of the work that they are doing, makes sure that their tools are prepared to do that work well, and makes sure that they have planned for any accidents that may happen while on the job. This isn't a call to paranoia. It's not saying that complete paranoia is total awareness. But what it is saying is that if you're about to do something that is dangerous, that you had better prepare for that dangerous thing that you are about to do. If you're about to go to a task and your tools aren't ready, then you are the fool. The problem is not your tools. The problem is not the dangerous nature of the task. It's that you are foolish in the execution of them. If you find that you're always running into problems in your work, then the issue may be that you lack wisdom, that you've acted foolishly. If you find that accidents keep happening to you, it may be that you fail to prepare, and therefore you've acted foolishly. And then verses 12 to 15 tell us how we can discern words of wisdom and words of folly. Here's 12 to 15 for us. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The words of the wise were told here in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Or as other translations put it, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Or to translate the Hebrew even more woodenly, the words of a wise man are healing. Ecclesiastes 10 here gives us the means by which we can discern wise and foolish words and wise and foolish people. The wise person will be characterized by gracious healing words. Here it's important for us to recognize that the words of the wisest person ever to live, the words of Jesus Christ, the words that Christ spoke were so wise that they were literally healing. Christ's words were so wise that he could say, get up and walk, and the paralyzed person would get up and walk. And it's important this morning to recognize that each one of us needs to hear the healing words that Jesus Christ speaks. If you here this morning are broken or weary, then listen to the wise words of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you know of your sin, 
It's time for you to trust in Jesus and to heal and to hear the healing words that he and he alone can speak. Your sins are forgiven. If you need healing words today, look to the wisdom of Jesus Christ who offered his life as a ransom for many, for all who would trust in Jesus Christ. It's intriguing, it's interesting, isn't it, that the cross of Jesus Christ looked to all the world as a great act of foolishness? It's intriguing, isn't it, that Jesus Christ is spoken of as the wisdom of God and yet operated not with power or with flash or pomp or circumstance. Our God and our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. We thank you for him coming to earth. Wisdom, God made flesh. We praise you for the wise and healing words that he spoke throughout his life. We thank you for his death which appeared to the world to be great foolishness, and yet for those who believe is salvation. We pray that we would fear you, that we would trust Christ, and that in trusting him, that we would live as wise people. Help us to live wisely, to live rightly, and to live for you. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.